What we want to do instead is figure out who do I want to be? What are my values? And to what degree am I living into my values? And one of the things that I would recommend, and only take this if it fits for you, if it doesn't fit for you, find something else. I would drop my attachment to other people's opinions. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. Yvette Erasmus, and welcome to another episode of Conversations from the Heart. You are in the right place if you are longing to use words in authentic, kind, and direct ways to connect more deeply and to make a meaningful and positive impact on the world at home and at work. Do you want to have a new kind of conversation with both yourself and others? Let's dive in. Welcome to those of you who are here for the first time. Welcome back to those of you who might even consider yourselves regulars at this point. I love seeing my regulars on the screen, the people that I'm used to seeing and enjoy seeing back every week. And I also love seeing names and faces that I have not seen before. And I just want to welcome everybody. I am going to share with you a celebration, actually, this morning that happened yesterday. I, I feel some delight, my needs for, oh God, I don't even know what it is. Like, it's delight, my need for like, I don't know, you, you, I'm going to tell you the story and then you can guess my need, okay? But here's what happened. My 20-year-old child called me yesterday evening because she had just failed an exam. And here's the celebration. She turned to me for empathy and support. This child called me up because she knew she was going to get no judgment. She was going to get no criticism. She was going to get no, here's what you should have done. I can't believe this happened. She was going to get no disapproval from me. And she knows this. She got and she called for it. And this was a huge celebration. She was like, mom, I feel terrible. You won't believe what happened today. What happened? I walked into my biology class and to my surprise, we were having an exam. And I said, oh my God, how did this happen? I was, I've been so busy with work and with blah, 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 blah. And then do you know that feeling when you walk in and you realize you're completely unprepared and you just have this pit in your stomach? And I'm like, oh, that is the worst feeling, honey. I am so sorry. What did you do? So we had this conversation. Like I literally have been practicing for so many years, receiving other people as they are. Here's my celebration. It took no effort. It was simply easy. And it was so maybe validating and like reassuring that she's had enough experiences of me that she knew that was what she was going to get. Like it wasn't hard for her. And my celebration is I have always wanted to privilege our relationship over her needing to be what I need her to be. I, I let go of that ages ago. And this was one of those validating moments where I'm like, yes, I got what I'm wanting, which is a close relationship. And I get to partner with her on this journey and be with her witnessing and supporting her in the ups and downs. And she talked herself through like, I'm going to remember how bad this feels. This is something that Auntie Lynn once said, <laughs> Lynn is on the call, that you can remember how bad it feels and then that helps you never do this again. And mom, I'm never going to do this again. Like, And thank goodness it was only three weeks in because now I can actually like, can you help me just figure out like, what do I need to get on my next exam? And it was all problem solving. It was, it was such a celebration. So there you go. That is, let me tell you that, let's see how old is she now? She's 21. So. I would say uh, five years ago, that was not what was happening when she was in high school. I was struggling very much at that point to be like, where is that line between like, you have to study? <laughs> anyway, 
And here's the one little point I'm going to make. We're in this for the long game. We let go of control in the early stages because we're in it for the long game. We're in it for the relationship. We're in it to create conditions, relational conditions that are really conducive to the other person getting so self-connected that they become the authority in their own lives of what they want and where they want to put their energy in and what's important to them. And we, we create conditions where we are cultivating intrinsic motivation and we are showing up in ways that really undo the programming that my main reason for doing something is someone else's approval or managing somebody else's judgment or becoming who somebody else needs me to be. We're really helping people get back into their own internal authority. So it's a practice. And I will tell you, I have had a very bumpy ride of this on my own, but that's my celebration. Okay, that's a little more than you need to share. You don't have to share all of that. But if you want to, you're certainly welcome to. Now, there are a ton of questions in the room today, and I know I'm not going to get to everybody. And I just want to express a little bit of gratitude to those of you who have put in things like, this can wait, or it's not urgent, or you know, if you get to me, like that's always a very helpful thing. I'm going to take you at face value, and I want to just say I really appreciate that. It it helps me know how to prioritize things. So, also, these are often people who I know are going to come back, or I'm going to see them in another program, and there will be another opportunity. And I just I feel some gratitude for the consideration of that. That means a lot to me. We're going to begin with Colleen. Colleen asks. Could you offer a few scripts for being the passenger in a car when someone is driving in a way that you don't enjoy to avoid the reception of your concerns as a criticism of them? <laughs> I have been there so many times, Colleen. I, I, you know, in my extreme moment, I literally just rented my own car and we drove in two cars. But let's see if we can get you a better outcome than that, even though that's a perfectly legitimate end game. So give me your, your rough draft. What would you like okay. to say? So I have difficulty doing some driving. I have eye issues. I can't drive at night. When I am in the car at night, to me, it looks like I can only see a very short distance in front of the car. It looks like you're driving off into space. So I find it terrifying. Mm. And my husband just got a new truck and he is enjoying the amount of pickup it has. So he's been passing people at like 90 miles an hour. So when I, you know, he was, he was like, put out a blindfold if you're nervous. And even, I wasn't even saying anything. I was just like grabbing things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I tried saying, well, you know, I'm just scared. I can't see. It scares the hell out of me. But, and, and he, Calm down a little bit, but he can still feel that there is some judgment. And it's true that he is just driving too fast. So if something were to happen, he wouldn't be able to correct. You know, he's handling it in the moment, but I, I'm very risk averse. So um, I don't want to wait for them. Uh -huh. So you're going to have this conversation outside of the moment, correct? Correct. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it while you're in the middle of the call and everyone, you know, doesn't have the space and time to really think about it. So I'm going to remind you of the things I think you already know. You're going to, as you so beautifully did, express empathy for what it might be like for him to be driving the truck. Like, I get it. You have a new truck. You enjoy the pickup. You and you're confident and you are enjoying whatever it is, the feeling of power and the feeling of competence and mastery over a vehicle and and you trust yourself and you're not feeling afraid. 
And so what you're cueing into is a sense of enjoyment and self-trust. And so your experience of being in the truck is really different from mine. Some version of really picking up his perspective and obviously stopping and checking it out and letting him change, fix, correct, tweak so that he feels like his experience is fully not only received, but enjoyed with him. Like really the experience of like, I want that for you. I totally want you to have all of that. And then here's my dilemma. My experience when we're driving in the car is really different. My nervous system gets activated. I'm in a state of hypervigilance. And I notice myself like involuntarily grabbing because I don't have the same perception as you are having. And so we're having fundamentally different experiences in the truck. And then slow down and let him say it back to you. Now, the trick there is, is asking for that in a way that doesn't feel to other people like they're being, you know, put on a leash and coerced into doing something. Like you can say, you know, I'm going to give you some of the more awkward ways of saying it that I know you know, but just for everybody, like, you know, tell me what you're hearing me say. Does that make sense to you? Can you tell me what is coming through to you as the most important thing to me? You know, how would you say that in your words? Like if you were in this position, and you were having my experience, how would you be expressing that? I kind of want to hear how this would live in you. Have you ever been in a position where you've been afraid? How would you describe that? Like, whatever it is that helps the other person temporarily put themselves in a position that they are not in, in that, you know what I mean? I take your perspective. But I would really want to, I, I wouldn't want to have a conversation at this stage where they just go, yeah, 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 I get it. I'd say, okay, great. What do you get? Tell me what you're getting. Because and, and if they're like, I'm not just going to say back to you what you said, then you can give them a reason. I'm not sure if I'm being clear and I'm not sure if I'm covering all the things. I actually don't need it because I need to know that you, this is not a correction teaching thing. This is a, it would help me to hear it so that I can hear if I'm saying everything I'm meaning. This is for me, not for you. Would you be willing to do it for me? Right? It's not like I'm trying to check up on your listening skills. I'm trying to suss out whether I'm saying everything that needs to be said from my perspective. And then you hold it as a dilemma. You know, I want you, I want you to have the enjoyment of driving. And I also want to have an experience that is calibrated for where my nervous system is at and my perception and my eyesight. And how can we do that? Do you have any ideas? Does anything come to mind for you? Are there any adjustments that would feel enjoyable to you that don't feel like controlling and critical and micromanaging of you? Because I'm not sure what to do about this. I want driving to be enjoyable for both of us. Do you want that too? And then don't offer him more. Let put it back in his lap in a way and see what he does with that. How's that landing as, a, as an opening? That sounds like it might be really useful. I think where I've fallen down when I kind of tried to go there is that I start saying, well, we could do this or we could do that. And then he's like, no. You're telling me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, so sometimes with some temperaments and some people, sometimes with me, like sometimes when people are doing this to me, like I, if I can come up with the solution, it's easier for me to buy into it than if you're telling me who you need me to be, which I'm going to resist. <laughs> That's just a, spoken as somebody who has that problem. Let me tell you, like, if you say I'm really... You come with your vulnerability and you show me your problem and you're asking me to come up with a solution and I come up with a solution, I, I'm buying into my solution. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And see, I mean, again, you know, 
there's millions of humans on this planet. They're all different. So different things are going to work for different people. But, you know, try that out and see how far you get. And then if there's another stuck point, bring it back and then we'll try the next piece. Thank you. You're welcome. Any more on this? So you feel good? Good. Okay, great. Yay. Thanks, Colleen. I love that question. I've been, <laughs> I've been on both sides of that. Eric, is it a question? So I like his way of handling it. One thing that comes up for me is this kind of integrity thing around, look, there, there is objective data that getting into an accident at high speed is in fact more dangerous. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm tempted to want to also bring up objective reality. I mean, anyway, anything you want to say about that is lovely. I, I just want to be brief. Absolutely. If you're working with another person who also values objective reality and you're two scientists really trying to analyze the dynamics and the physics of a situation, go for it. So that is a potential strategy and that can work with certain personalities in certain contexts. What I'm going for more in this situation is that we change somebody's heart before they are going to change their mind. That's the general principle that often happens, not every time, not with everyone. But often what's getting in the way, not all the time, is that we are trying to get somebody to care about our experience as much as they care about their own. And when we're going for a shifting in care, we're going for a change of heart, bringing in data isn't the right strategy. If we're problem solving and trying to figure something out, then data is an excellent strategy. How's that landing, Eric? Good enough for now. Thanks. Great. Yep, you're welcome. Is there another question? Anything else on this before I move on? Okay, we're going to move on to Kim. All right, let me go ahead and read your question and then you and I can chat a little bit. Could you share on how to deal with some scripts, what to say or write, when I'm taking the time to self-regulate and work through a triggering on so many fronts email? And then receive a demand for a response in the meantime. Even when I've already bought time with a, I'll get back to it as soon as I can, it is sometimes met with variants of, I just need you to respond. We need to just be able to communicate or something like this. Okay. So one, one response that comes to mind right away, Kim, is just ignoring the in the meantime responses. Hmm. And following through with your boundary, which is, I will get back to it as soon as I can. Now, one tweak that I would say in terms of the, I'll get back to it as soon as I can, that's sometimes really ambiguous for the other person. And so they don't know how to reset their expectations. So if it's possible for you to say, I'll get back to you sometime within the next 72 hours or within a week or by the end of next month, whatever it is that you're wanting. Sometimes the time frame can help with the other person anxiously trying to provoke a response. Mm, yeah, I hear you there. Well, I know deliberately ambiguous. It's, it's an e There's more to it. Quite traumatized by how they've always been using emails. So for years, I couldn't even open my email from fear what was going to come. Uh huh. So there's a lot to work through, and I sometimes it takes months, <laughs> depending on what is there. Yeah. Yeah. So then the best thing, the first thing that comes to mind for me with that would be you remind yourself that you are fully in charge of whether or not you're going to respond at all 
when you're going to respond and how you're going to respond. And every time that you get some kind of a provocative, pokey email, something to try and push you, you notice the buildup. It sounds like your nervous system has some activation and some buildup around that. Yes. <laughs> you take your attention away from email. You feel into the sensations coming up in your body. You meet your own needs to be seen, to be heard. You connect with yourself. You empathize with yourself. You remind yourself that you're safe. You remind yourself there's nothing that you need to do. You are not an object to meet this person's need. You are not a puppet on a string. And you sort of metaphorically cut the ties. You take all those strings and you just sort of visualize like cutting them. And you relax your nervous system and you get back into the present moment. I am safe. I have made a response. I'm giving this person their anxiety back to them. I'm not picking it up. I don't have to do anything about it. I can hear that they have some desperation and urgency. I can hear and see that they really want to get me to do something. I am honoring my space and choicefulness and time right now. I've said what I need to say. And then you can check in with yourself. Do you feel inspired to say, you know, contact me in 2027 and we can pick it up then. And until then, I'm going no contact. I mean, I'm being a little dramatic, but you know, you choose a period of time and you can always have a deadline. You can say, I, I'm not ready to respond. And on February 28th, I will let you know an update. Then you're not even committing to a response. On February 28th, you could say, I need another month. I will let you know on March 28th, an update. That's it. You release yourself from any expectation that you have to do anything with this person. How is that landing? Yeah. And in a way, I know it and it works when things are not triggering, but yeah. because the means that's triggering and the content and then not the space. And sometimes I think I also see like some things do call for maybe a quicker answer, but it's so complicated. And then I get confused, you know, so things yeah. get really difficult. And yeah, so there's always the, for me, I often go to, I want to point out that what they're doing is actually triggering me more. And delaying yeah. my possibility. Yeah. But that won't land either, I think. I don't know. What yeah. have you what is your idea there? Yeah, it really depends on the relationship. I probably don't know enough about the nature of the relationship and how much contact you need to have and not like if you're living in the same house or you know what I mean? Is it work? Is it mother? <laughs> oh, your mother. Yeah. <laughs> oh, says a lot. <laughs> okay. So then I think what I would be doing is I would just be creating new operating instructions for our relationship. And there would be some set up email that is like, dear mother, I love you so much. I value our relationship. I, I, there's a lot that I want to work through. And in this moment, what I know about where I'm at, what I am able to do and not able to do in the context of our relationship, it's like, you know, and then you can detail it. I, I have a lot of conflict, inner conflicts coming up and I need time and space to get clear on them before I respond, because it's really important to me to show up in ways that are honest and kind. And if I respond too quickly, out of my anxiety or out of a desire to smooth things over too quickly, I feel like I repeat patterns with you that I'm actually trying to transform. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be taking time between our emails. I have a lot of care for how much anxiety and desperation that may bring up in you. 
And please know that my silence is not punishing and it's not rejecting. And I'd like you to remind yourself that when I'm taking some space, I'm actively working on things in myself so that I can bring a healed and resourced self to our interactions. Mm. And it's not that I'm trying to punish you. And these like, just give her the information. This is what I'm doing. Here are my intentions. Here's why I'm doing it. I care about how it's impacting you. And for right now, this is about me learning to manage myself and show up in a way that is in alignment with my values with you and is really an act of care for both of us. And I hope you can receive it in that spirit. And anytime you need to be reminded of this, please reread this email. Have you had any of that with her already? Have, has that happened in some form or already or not? Look, I have tried in the past to also, I, I shared some preferences and, you know, like, and, and trying to see if things could reciprocate. It was always my responsibility to keep the contact going. And I couldn't anymore. I asked because there was so much fear, you know, for me, there was no incentive. But anyway, yeah. and it was not met. When I put a preference, it stayed, it's always met with as if it's an attack, emotional blackmail. Yeah, sort of yeah. victim. Yeah. I don't know. It's It's about her. And it's, yeah, I'm trying this. And. Recently, I actually thought I had a very lovely email and it was met with this kind of, so it's difficult, but yeah. Yeah. So is it clear to you in those moments that her reactions to what you're saying tell you more about her than about you? Or does that get confusing for you? In a way, it's very much two ways. On one hand, yes, I, I very much see this function in things. And how it is, but at the same time, I would like to show up better. I would like to be res- really responsive. And and but it, yeah, with the past and the traumas, it's just really hard. And yeah, so I see that there's something that is not re- received on the other side. But I do take the responsibility to then solve it, if that makes sense. I yeah. So that piece of let's see if we can just calibrate that piece. Like the the part of you that wants to take the responsibility that is yours is great, right? Mm -hmm. That's the part of you wanting to empower yourself to really pick up the things that you are in control of, that you can change, that help you define your own sense of identity and align your actions with who you want to be in the relationship. That's lovely. But the part that then crosses a line and takes responsibility for her or takes responsibility for quote unquote fixing it by changing you, or feels like it's your fault or you're to blame or it's all on your shoulders and that you are the only change agent and you're not being met with a co-creative other. That is an adaptive an adaptive child, right? That is what you learn to do with this mom as a child to stay safe. And those are the patterns that you are, I think, working on dissolving. Is that true or not? Yes, that's true. I, I do get slightly confused because I would like to be able to respond quick and have the right answers, but because it's so triggering and there's trauma, yeah, I do a lot of self-censoring. I, there's confusion. I don't know what to say, so it takes even longer. And yeah, then I feel like I'm wrong. But at yeah. the same time, it's also because of this situation. So yeah. yeah. So then let's make peace with going slowly. There is no rush. Your mom might be feeling desperation and urgency and whatever that is. Those are her feelings to go work through. She can find a really good therapist and a good empathy group and her own community, but that's hers. That's in her lane. She 
she is going to be invited through your boundary setting and your clarity to pick up what is her work. You're not going to do her work for her anymore because it's not fair to you. And it's also not fair to her. Mm. That's hers to do. And so... Someone who will work on them. I believe you. Yeah, yeah, I believe you. And that also isn't your responsibility anymore. Yeah. She gets to not work on herself. Yeah. And I'm going to say that to everybody in the room. You're going to have people in your life who do not want to work on themselves. They get to make that choice. Leave them alone. Mm. But then look at when somebody chooses not to work on themselves, that will severely limit what that relationship is able to become. Yeah. And give that responsibility back to the person who is entrenched in a status quo and refuses to change or examine or become aware or become conscious. Then they can, and I don't mean this in a punitive way, I mean this in a descriptive way. And I'll say instead of about them, I'll say about me. Like when I choose not to change something or become aware of something or pick up responsibility for something or examine something, what I'm choosing is the consequences of not examining or changing it. I am choosing the sort of karma of what will happen as a result of keeping this status quo, the status quo. I get to make that choice. But it doesn't come without, you know, sort of ripple effects. But I need to sometimes feel those ripple effects before I have intrinsic motivation to change it. Thank you for that. And I it's so difficult because it is being reflected on me. I'm the bad one, of course. That's that's being shared to the outside world as well. You know, that I'm the one not communicating. Whereas, anyway, yeah. Yes. And remember that silence and disengagement is also communication. When I say, I'll get back to it when I'm ready, that is communication. Your continuing to engage with me is a boundary violation. That's you, other person saying, I'm not willing to respect your no. I'm not willing to think about what you're needing. I'm not willing to meet you on your terms. Everything has to be on my terms because I need you to be different to regulate my feelings. And you, as the recipient of that, get to decide, sure, okay, I'll be your emotional regulation tool and keep abandoning myself so that you can be regulated and I'll hold all the dysregulation inside of me. Or you can wake up to that, which you have. (laughs) I'm saying this sort of generally for people. Or or we wake up to that and we go, wait a minute. No, I can't regulate your emotions by constantly mind reading and attuning and just like sacrificing myself for you. I want a different kind of relationship. And then somebody who has more of an externalizing defense, which is what it sounds like your mother has. She tends to see her well-being as dependent on external conditions. People who are in that stage of development will try to micromanage everybody else around them in order to teach everybody else how to be so that they never have any negative feelings. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little overstated, but you understand what I'm pointing to, yeah? No. Yeah. It's when you say silent is communicating. For me, it doesn't feel because it's from fear. It's still from self-silencing and paralysis often. Yeah. Sometimes or often I don't even i'm working on you know with my trauma coach and trying to formulate an answer but i haven't responded then i'm getting back to this because i don't know what of the things i'm going to get back to and if i want to get back to it would you say always respond or is not responding on something and just coming back to when i'm ready is that still 
in line with it. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you my high level answer like like in the ideal situation with the caveat that getting to this ideal situation can be you know it's a process. I would get in the habit of always giving somebody a deadline by when I am going to get back to them. That's the first thing I would do. I would say I need a week to think about this. I'll get back to you next Sunday. Then when next Sunday comes around, what I'm going to get back to somebody with sometimes is, I've had a lot of inner conflict and confusion this week. I'm getting back to you because I said I would. I'm still not ready to talk about it. I will let you know next Sunday where I'm at next Sunday. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, more transparent. You don't have to get into the conversation. You can just say, I need you buy yourself a week. And then the next week, you buy yourself another week. And then the next week, and you know, like what I've sometimes done with, you know, clients in therapy in situations like this is I had a client once who would write, email received. I'll discuss this with my therapist this week and I'll come back to you next week with a response. And then we would discuss it. And then we'd figure out what the next response was, whether she was ready or not, whether she wanted to engage or not. And then we'd have the next response and it would be like, and give me another week. And it was just very simple. Like, I'm not going to respond to you until I've discussed this with my therapist and then I'll give you like the next piece. (laughs) So it's a version of that. You're not leaving the other person hanging. They have a deadline. You're not blaming or criticizing them. You're not saying you're impossible to talk to and I don't want to be in touch with you. It's not a rejection. It's simply a management of my own process without engaging more than I'm ready to so that you can develop the self-trust of being in charge of your safety and sort of like teaching other people that you're making new dance moves and it's going to be hard for them to adjust. And the more we can make it explicit that they know what's going on and the more we can reassure them that this is really, I mean, to the degree you can say, I'm doing this because I care about you and I care about our relationship and I care about me. And this is the best I can do right now. And it's going to be slow and it's going to take a lot of time. And I realize that might be distressing for you. And so I want to be really transparent about where I am, what I can offer, and remind you that I love you and that this is in the service of healing our relationship. And yes, it's going to be slow and it's going to take time. Mm. Yes, lovely. I I was laughing because it is often that I have to wait for my trauma coaching session before I can respond back. Yes. But I've never disclosed that. So it might be even good to every, yeah, mention it as well. It's, yeah. 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 And, you know, again, you are in charge of like, sometimes it's connecting and useful to share that with somebody. If this is another person who might use it against you or use it to entrench their opinion that you are the broken and traumatized one, and this is more example of your badness, you might, you know, want to calibrate that. But yeah. I trust that you'll figure out a way that feels good for you and your situation. Yeah, that's always the difficult one. But yeah, it sounds like that's the journey you're on is like really honoring your own subjective experience, your capacities and your limits first. And that's breaking an old family rule. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, I get confused a lot. It's um, because it seems so important and, and enmeshed and complicated. But yeah, it's lovely to hear it like this. There's definitely a few of those scripts that I can weave into what I'm want to do so thank you so much you're so welcome you're so welcome good luck i hope that this shifts things and creates a little bit more room and ease for you so that you're not trapped in the urgency bubbles yeah thank you you're so welcome any clarifying questions on this piece before i move on to the next person all right great i do want to invite you to consider joining my membership program 
You get full access to Human 101, which gives you a step-by-step framework for personal growth. It is my favorite program right now because it's the one that I re-recorded most recently. And you also get four calls with me a month on Tuesdays and Thursdays on alternating weeks. You get access to a community directory, um, practice partners, and you get a special rate. Members get a different rate for personal sessions if they want one-on-one time with me, mostly because we focus so much on applying all of the skills and principles and frameworks from Human 101. And so there's kind of a curriculum that we're working together. So please join us if that feels inspiring to you. All right, Prerana, let's go to Prerana next. Where are you, Prerana? Are you happy to chat today? Hello, I'm here. Yay, there you are. Let me read your question. Could you please share how to maintain a positive balance between self-values and external philosophies that we come across every day? I'm dealing with identity crisis and a lot of confusion because of it. But tell me a little bit more. How are you? Hi, sorry. Please avoid if there's some background noise. Kids are playing outside. No problem. So for like, uh, I guess two years or so, I've been reading up on a lot of philosophies and learning new things. And so my personal values have changed because of that. And even though in my mind, I know these things, there are still some old habits that still own habits are there. And I have always been someone who's very insecure and I have a lot of doubts about myself. Mm-hmm. So now it's really confusing. I've actually written it down. How do I find a path and not get stuck between what I learn? I'll give you an example. So mm-hmm. I learned that confidence is actually a self-defense mechanism. So instead of faking confidence, you should accept it. But when I'm in a meeting, I tell myself that, okay, I'm not really confident, so I'm accepting it. Instead of telling myself that I should try and act confident. But none of none of that works. I still feel like this loser sitting in, sitting in the meeting. And I feel like I should, should I follow these philosophies or stick to my old patterns of faking confidence so that I can... You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds like as you're doing some exploring and some learning, you're trying to figure out where do I actually update some of my beliefs and my understandings of how things work? And how do I know when that update is actually a downgrade and isn't actually working? And where do I find that internal authority where I can trust myself to know what's what? Is it something like that? Yeah, I see you nodding. Yeah. 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 So it, what a beautiful question. I love your question because what I'm hearing in it is a desire for like learning and growth and expanding your capacities. And also maybe there's something in here about like how to think critically and mm-hmm. wisely and with discernment about all of the different things that we might hear people saying is true or not true. And how do we know? How do we know? what is working and what isn't. So I would say that deciding to trust your feelings and believe in what your feelings are telling you is one step. And then the discernment is, let's take fear, for example, because this is a big one that people struggle with. Is this a fear that is trying to keep me alive? Or is this a fear that is stopping me from living? So The feeling of fear, I want to pay attention. I am feeling a fear, but I want to go another level down. Is this a fear that is 
really a survival fear. Like it is going to keep me alive. I should be afraid of that crocodile who is running at me. That is a, this fear is going to keep me alive. Many, many, many of the fears that we have, however, are keeping us from living. They are making us smaller. They are inhibiting us. They are creating self-doubt. They create internal conflict. They create internal suffering. And so when I bump up against a fear that might be keeping me from living, then I want to find out how I learn to be afraid of a certain thing. And then what I want to bring on board is a lot of expansive, discerning, data-gathering thinking, where I want to, instead of just latching onto a new idea or a new belief, instead of being like, well, so-and-so said such and such, Yvette said, blah, 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 that must be true. Never do that. Yvette said such and such. Let me go test that out. Always do that. Let me find out if that's true for me or not, where that might be true for me or not, where that does not apply for me at all and doesn't fit for me. Assume that all of that is true. Here is an idea. The idea about confidence, maybe, maybe confidence, this, what, I don't know what this person said, but this idea of confidence being like not a good thing. Like, and the not a good thing, I think what I'm hearing from your story has to do with like the faking it. So what I'm really hearing there is, an invitation to authenticity instead of pretending. And then you check in with your own system. Yeah, that kind of resonates with me. I don't want to be pretending. I want to be authentic. That piece seems like it fits. I can feel that. But then again, maybe not. Because if you go and look, there's a TED Talk on, I think you can find it on YouTube. And I think the woman's name is Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. I think that's who it is. She talks a lot about, and if it's not Amy Cuddy, I hope somebody corrects me. That she talks about posture. Like before you go in to do a speech, for example, if you go and you stand with your arms like up, like, you, you know, you put your legs out wide and you put your arms out wide and you hold that physical posture for five minutes, that posture, the way that you are standing, which you can choose, will release a whole cascade of neurotransmitters and hormones in your system that actually boost your confidence and have you walking into a room with a different energy and a different way of being than if you're sort of have your shoulders hunched over? And, you know, like there's a lot of research about ways in which we can affect our mental and emotional states by making conscious choices about posture. For example, I wouldn't call that pretending. I would call that really strategically understanding how the human being works and then finding strategies that are in, in alignment with your intention and your goals and what it is that you're wanting to practice your way into. And the other thing is, sometimes I have a vision for who I could be, and I need to practice my way into that vision. Like, it may not be how I actually am feeling in this moment, but that takes an act of courage. And it can take courage for me to take some risks and do an uncomfortable thing and coach myself into something that in the early stages feels really uncomfortable. But that's not necessarily pretending. So how is all of that landing just as some random thoughts around this for now? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. What are you noticing in yourself, thinking, feeling, responding? Yeah. I feel like I, I already knew a lot of these philosophies. And when I listen to those, it just confirms what I already but even though I'm not following it in real life, I feel like in my mind, oh, I'm wise and all of these things. But in real life, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just the person I was. And I feel like I want to be 
somebody idea so that people can think of me oh she's she's perfect she's this person because she knows so much and in my daily life i feel like i'm trying to be all of these things because i want somebody to think of me as an ideal person and i get so like i put this pressure on myself that i end up being nothing and just sitting in the middle feeling like nobody like neither here nor there just being overthinking of being something and i just want to lose that constant thought of trying to be something like trying to be a perfect person and just being normal yeah yeah so there's this real tension between this vision of what you're reaching for and how you're experiencing yourself in this moment and in this moment it feels to you like there's a big gap between these two is that right yeah and then the other piece that i heard you say was something about uh, because you want other people to think something of you is that right yeah i would drop that part if you can the only person who needs to think that of you is you to the degree you know like this is domination programming domination programming is that we have to perform in a particular way to gain the approval of other people and when we gain the approval of other people then we have arrived and this will never satisfy any of us it just won't because with 8 billion people on the planet you will never get the approval of 8 billion people on the planet there will always be somebody who doesn't approve there will always be somebody who sees it differently who devalues it who dismisses it who doesn't buy into it who doesn't even like it like that putting that on other people is part of what keeps us stuck and in suffering what we want to do instead is figure out who do i want to be what are my values and to what degree am i living into my values and one of the things that i would recommend and only take this if it fits for you if it doesn't fit for you find something else i would drop my attachment to other people's opinions as a general thing and then i would like in my own life i i know that there are like three or four people whose opinions matter to me because they are living into the values that i would choose for me and so their opinion and their feedback matters because i trust where it's coming from but everybody else i'll take it with a grain of salt i'm not going to give my authority away to everybody else's opinion of me but that doesn't mean that i become super narcissistic and i think well the only person who matters is me because i have blind spots i have things that i need my friends and family and you know professionals to help me wake up to and i want but i want to be very choiceful about who those people are it's not just the the general public does that make sense it's not just everybody that i interact with whose opinion i need to be attached to so i can choose that piece how is that landing on you as an idea Yes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, where are you at with the question now? What What do you feel like you're getting or not getting? What's left? I, I do get it. Sorry to take a lot of time. I, if the last thing that could help is just one exercise when I get into a room full of people and I start thinking, what is she thinking of me? What What are they thinking of me? Or how am I speaking? How can I stop that thinking and get attention back to myself and the things I'm doing, like in the moment? Yeah. So one thing that comes to mind is first really appreciating the part of me that cares about other people. 
this is not a bad thing. You can be like, oh, look how much I care about how other people experience me. That's actually the seat of my consideration and the seat of my empathy and the seat of my ability to reflect on myself. And it's a part of me that takes in feedback. I like this part of me and I want to keep those parts of me because that's lovely. However, I'm going to work with this part and say, but we're not going to give all of our authority away to everybody else. Yes, we care because we're open to feedback and we're attuned. And, you know, we, we will read the cues we're getting because we're paying attention to the impact we're having. These are really good things about us, me, right? And the actual guiding thing that I'm going to rest on is, am I showing up in a way that is in alignment with who I want to be? And if somebody else doesn't like that about me, can I soothe myself if they don't like me? Can I survive the experience of somebody else disagreeing with me and not liking me if it's something that I'm really believing in for me? Am I showing up with integrity? Am I showing up in a way that I respect? And if I'm showing up in a way that I respect and that I like and that is in alignment with my values, can I be gentle and soothing with this younger part of me that is getting scared about what might happen if other people don't like it? And then if we want to take that another layer into healing, often there's a memory of an authority figure in my past who punished me or rejected me or hurt me in some way because I wasn't meeting their needs. And if I can surface some of that and work through it and and feel my way through the completion of that experience that I had as a younger person, I can reclaim that energy. That's a little bit of healing work that might come up around that. How's that landing? Yes, I'm going to try and follow that hmm. and see how, like, how things change. Yeah, I love that. See how far that gets you and then where's the next piece that gets stuck and bring it back? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. That's good thought. I wish you a lot of luck with that. Yeah, I love you. Thank you so much. It's thank you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Any clarifying questions on this piece before we move on? All right, good. So then we're going to go to Josie. Hi. Are you Josie? Are you happy to chat? Yes, good. Okay. Fabulous. Okay, here's your question. My daughter has been distancing for years. This Christmas, I asked if I could see the grandkids, and she said she'd let me know when it might work, but never got back to me. We live seven hours apart. I'm wondering if it makes sense to ask if I can come and watch the kids sporting events this summer or if I should let it go and just give her more space. This is painful. Oh, okay. Where shall we start, Josie? I guess just with the question of whether or not I should pursue it. I have discovered a gentleman named Joshua Coleman, who is a nationally known psychologist who deals with only with estrangement with adult children and their parents. And he says to wait a year and just don't contact them at all. He said it's hard to be missed if you never give them that space. Mm -hmm. And it's good to honor their request for space. Mm -hmm. In the recent past, Lauren has asked for help with the children. and But all that has stopped recently. And I, I don't know why exactly. I've asked. I've done like Everything you can imagine, writing immense letters, asking if there, there's anything she wanted to talk Yeah, you know, I've done everything. Mm -hmm. And she just keeps pulling back. I think she has issues in her marriage. I think there are other things going on. 
but I also think she's really mad at me. Part of it is about money. She thinks I should have given her money when her dad died, but she won't talk to me. She just will not have a conversation about any of it. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Has she said something to the effect of, please don't contact me. I want space from you. Please don't get in touch with me. Nope. No, she just doesn't respond or, you know, she's just very, the times I've had interaction with her in the past few years, it's been mostly logistical with help with the kids. Okay. So she's happy to be in touch around logistical stuff. She's not great at responding to everything. She's not super connected to you, but she hasn't outright said, I want to go no contact with you. No, but this is the first year she hasn't answered me about the children. This is the first time ever. Yeah. Then I would probably not, you tell me where I'm getting it wrong because I don't know all of the dynamics, but I would always, almost always take that at face value and assume that somebody is busy and it fell off their radar. I would begin by not taking it personally until I get data that it was personal. And then I just want that to be explicit. I, I literally would be like, She's going to get back to me. She's busy. She's preoccupied. She's got a million things going on in her life, and it's not personal. And I would figure out if that were the truth, how, how might I check in? Yes, I have always done that before. Mm -hmm. And my way of checking back has been, by chance, did you see my tent? You know, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. kind of lightly. This time, though, because it was Christmas, I know she didn't just forget. Christmas is huge. I always yep. have seen them or seen the kids. So what would it be like? What would it be like to say something like this? I'm going to test things out and you tell me how you think she would respond because you know her much better than I do. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Hey, dear daughter, just looping back to the conversation we started over Christmas about seeing the grandkids, was wondering if it makes sense for me to come and watch some sporting events this summer or how, and how you might feel about that. Perfect. I love that. You know, the heart, oh gosh, I'm going to cry. The hard part is every time, every time I reach out, I risk more heartache, you know, because you know, she either doesn't respond or she makes up excuses or she'll say, yeah, I need help. And I go and help. And she's very cold and doesn't really speak to me except for logistics. You know, can you pick, go pick him up at the pool, go take Penelope to dance, but no conversation. So it's mm -hmm. really painful. Yeah. And I think in thought, you know, the last time I went to help with the kids, I thought, I can't do this anymore. I've been doing it for, I don't know, 15, 18 years. And it's, yeah, it's just painful with all, it's everything. And they yeah. just, yeah. What do you do with the pain, Josie, when you feel into that heartbreak and that longing and that pain? What do you do with it? I hold it in the back burner until I leave. Yeah. I get a little quiet when I'm there, I guess. And then I and then I cry. I talk to friends. I write in my journal. I pray. I yeah. try to let go. Yeah. Yeah. Try to move forward with things that I enjoy. Try to catch myself when I start to feel like it's all my fault. Yeah, let's stop that, right? Yeah. Mm -mm. I love hearing that. I love hearing that you're willing to feel the pain 
that you're able to contain it and not act it out with your daughter and that you're able to take it to other places in your life where you can continue to metabolize and digest and dissolve and move the pain through you. That, that is very, very encouraging to me. It's what will help your heart stay open. It will, it's what helps you develop sort of the emotional muscles of being able to feel life on its terms. And to the degree that you can really work with any kind of thinking that there's something wrong with you or something wrong with her or your fault or her fault or any of that kind of divisive thinking that wants to blame and shame, to the degree that you can keep that at bay, you'll be able to metabolize through the things in our lives that are painful in a way that will build some strength and keep your heart open. And my hope for you is that you will discover that you are fine and intact and whole, even when you are feeling into the pain of a situation, and that the pain is really telling you about what you love, about what you care about, about your own values, about who you are, about what your longings are, and to keep your attention on that and to really honor them, to see that as a goodness in you. How is that landing? You're muted, just so you know. Sorry. Yeah, that's helpful. I, I did. I attended weekend long MVC conference a couple of weekends ago, and one of the things I learned was associating my linking my anger to my need. And so this also is helpful, like linking my sadness to my up. Yeah, so it helps me not to turn on myself and. You know, the hardest thing is not not being mad at Lauren because she's so mean sometimes. She's just flat out not kind. And I don't believe I've ever deserved Yeah. And I've tried so hard that it just is hard not to be mad at her. Yeah. Now, yeah. she was a good mom. I made mistakes, but I was a really good yeah, yeah. So let's just hold that. There's two things in there that can be true at the same time. The anger you're feeling there is self-protective. It tells you about your boundaries. It's healthy anger. You know that there are ways you'd like to be treated and you want to be treated with kindness and consideration. And you're not saying this from a righteous, it's not my fault. Like you're willing to look at the things that may not have gone so well. You want to be learning. You want to be growing. All of that is important to you. And your anger is sort of telling you a little bit about where your boundaries are in this and also places where you may want to protect yourself from the perception or the reality, I don't know, of times that she's trying to be mean to you or hurt you. So there's something very life-affirming about that anger. Right. Not that I'm not saying we have to act it out, but you want to know that that's there because it's telling you about something that wants to be protected. And then, the, you know, what, what seems to be going with that is a real desire to be in a different kind of relationship with her and give her a new experience of a new kind of relationship with you in the now. Yes. I'm going to listen to this again because it, it is, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. Sometimes I think that I, there should come a time. When I stopped crying, you know, it's been 18, 15, 18 years. Isn't there a time that I just let go and stop 
being sad? I don't know. It's a good question. I hear the longing. I hear the sort of questioning of like, when is enough enough? When does it shift? When do dynamics change? At what point do I protect myself from feeling this way more and more? And I would hold those questions. They are profound questions. And I would hold them and live into the mystery of them until they answer you from the inside out. Take those questions seriously, even if the answer isn't clear right now. Okay. Do you want to just unmute? Are you going to save it or are you going to explain it? I'm going to put the instructions in the chat right now. Okay, great. Great. Then everybody who wants to save the chat can do so. All right. Thank you, Josie. Is that good for now? Are you feeling like this is a good place to close or anything else? I think that's good. All right. Well, it is 11.29 on my computer clock, so I'm going to draw things to a close. And thank you all for being here with me on a Wednesday morning. As always, please feel free to join my membership program. If you like programming like this, we do go into a lot more depth. And you also get the whole framework and all of the sort of informational materials for Human 101. And if not, that's great. I hope to see you back next Wednesday morning at our next call. And hopefully I'll see you back next week. Have a good week, everyone. Just a friendly reminder, if this episode resonated with you, please share with your family, friends, and co-workers. And if these conversations leave you wanting more, please consider joining my monthly membership program where you can join me live to keep growing with a community of open-hearted, like-minded people just like you. There are more free resources, including a quiz to help you assess your preferred listening style at yvetteerasmus.com and a lot of free videos on my YouTube channel. Remember, personal growth is a journey and not a destination. So please keep loving up all your awkward, messy and imperfect parts as you go. See you next time.